Hi guys, welcome back to the Digital Look Reads. I'm Savannah with Miss N. So, um, Miss N, tell us about the book that we read. Well, for this month, we're reading Janelle Shane's You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, How Artificial Intelligence Works and Why It's Making the World a Weirder Place. So this book is an accessible, hilarious exploration of the future of technology and society. And it's written by uh, Janelle Shane, who's an optics research scientist and artificial intelligence researcher. And she runs a popular blog called AI Weirdness, um, which is a machine learning humor blog that documents various machine learning algorithms, both one submitted by readers and one that she per uh, personally creates. So Savannah, how did you find the book? I okay so to be honest I only read 50% of the book but the 50% that I did read was so incredibly insightful like it is it is one of those like fiction books non-fiction books that you read where you kind of have to sit with it at least in my opinion like I felt like I was like each chapter I had to sort of be like okay that's what you know this type of AI that she's talking about um is but it, it, it is really interesting to sort of get some like insight into AI actually because it's I think it's one of those things where it feels very mythical until you actually start to realize it's like it's oh this is like a machine learning thing um so yeah very very interesting and I'm so happy we decided to read it yeah I know like when I said when we were thinking about like um we've always wanted to talk about AI and like just just in terms of like how it affects our careers and everything in general in the world, right? And so when I was looking for a book to suggest for us, like some books are very dense, right? And like we wanted to find a book that was very accessible, that was very friendly. And this was one of the books that I saw on Storygraph that had like a good rating and it, you know, people were talking about how approachable it was. And I had a similar experience as you. Like I, it's actually my first time this year that I finished like one of the books that we're reading, which is like, you know, a testament maybe to how approachable this book is. Um, but yeah, I found it, I found it really funny. I found it engaging. I love the examples that she provided uh, just because for someone that doesn't like, that's not completely in the field, like doesn't really know like the inner goings of like what happens when you develop that kind of AI to, to frame it in a way where she talks about the failures is fascinating because then you see like the limits of what AI can do. So overall, I enjoyed the book. I finished the book and yeah, I'm glad that we decided to do it here. Yeah, I mean, it is like one of those topics. And I, I mean, I love how she really approached it because there is like a lot. I, I mean, you you listen to it as an audiobook, right? Mm -hmm. um, I read it as like a, a digital version. And I don't actually, this is interesting because she includes a lot of visual elements in the things that she's describing. So how did, was that described at all or no? No, <laughs> I, I don't remember. I don't think so. So I might have missed some of those things. Like I was listening to it like as I was doing other things. And so I was imagining it in my head, but I didn't actually see the um, illustrations. The illustra I don't know if this, this might be in backwards. You guys will not see. Oh, wow. Even the, the illustrations are so. They're so cute. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I definitely um, missed out on that. <laughs> 
yes i maybe you'll do a second reading while i finish it up yeah but it is like those things for me i found really helpful was like the visual elements especially when she was describing certain um like scenario examples like there's one example in the book where she talks about how you would sort of um she was she was trying to give an example of like if there were two hallways and you only wanted people to go down one hallway and you have a test for an ai of like how would you force people to go down this one hallway so she shows different examples like visually of how that would look and like one of them is like um the robot just kind of like leans closer to the right so that people pat when they pass by him or i guess he leans closer to the left when they pass by him they go to the right hallway or whatever um another example was like they just like kill all yes. humans <laughs> i thought that was i mean that's morbid but also like very funny because it's like such a simple if solution that's the simple yeah the simplest way to do it that's what robots will do <laughs> Don't even let them pick which hallway to go down. Yeah. Just, you know, automatically <laughs> end them at, at at before it gets to that crossroads. And I think, that, like, another example was, like, the robot made itself big enough that it fit into the doorway of, like, the one hallway. So people would have to go mm-hmm. into that. And it was, it was, like, a really interesting example because it shows, like, how AI, and maybe we should probably explain this a little bit, too, is that AI, AI has to learn. Like, it, it yeah. self-corrects and it self-teaches itself. And so all of these things were just, like, little steps. And she had to sort of, you know, like, let's not kill yeah. these imaginary people in this hallway before they can decide. But how can we influence their decision so that they're constantly going down this, this alternative? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that <clears throat> is... Like, it's such an interesting concept because I think for a lot of people, and me especially, like, when I think about AI, I just automatically assume that it's a very smart thing. Yeah. And it really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, um, it takes a lot of time and practice and data for us to feed it to do, like, a very specific thing. And that's the other thing that really surprised me is, like, sort of, I don't want to (coughs) say how dumb AI is, but, like... (laughs) how much you have to train it um i wasn't really expecting that i kind of assumed that it would just do itself mm-hmm. like it would just train itself in that way <laughs> i don't sure. know i mean like i think it's because of like how it's portrayed in the media right even in like hollywood films where you kind of see an ai as this all encompassing thing this black box that knows everything because people have programmed it already but what i found in the book is that you know, what uh, Janelle was saying was that, no, it's like like these specific training sets. So if you want it to be good at, you know, like beating like a chess like match, you would just need to train it in that specific thing. But if you ask that AI or that like, yeah, that program, okay, like now, you know, solve this other riddle or like write a classical book or something, like obviously it did not get trained in writing, so it wouldn't perform well. So I found that, yeah, I found that really interesting where um, it's, it's at this point, it's a little bit more limited than what we think it could be. Now, I know there is, I'm not too familiar with it, but I know that there is like um, this notion of like machines learning and what 
people are trying to do is like to get the machines to learn so that um it's not just us like you know like programming it in and all that stuff so i don't know like the full extent of that maybe that's machine learning i'm not i i I guess that would make sense if it was but i'm not really too familiar with it so um maybe that is the thing to like teach teach machines to learn so that they can be the ones that um expand their knowledge base versus just like the constrained thing that we do but but yeah i thought the limitation was very interesting too Mm -hmm. yeah i think um like i mean it does seem like we're sort of moving towards that idea that like it will just be one program like i think that's like everybody just think it's definitely me i'm like ai this is just one thing but it's actually so many tiny little bodies. Um, and I think like with machine learning, she was, especially in the beginning of the book, she talks about like the neural pathways and like networks that you have to develop. And I think she said like the first example was, I, for, I think it was like the title of the book comes from uh, like a prompt that she was giving to this AI to like give book title suggestions. Or no, it was um, pick up, pick up pick lines. Up lines. <laughs> Yeah. And she she said that um like if you were to like rate or like give a scale of like the intelligence of this AI, it has the brain of a worm. Um, <laughs> which is like very insignificant, right? Like one track mind sort of thing. And I found that really fascinating because it even in that instance of like prompting it or like giving it enough data to develop its own pickup lines and even like the ones that were good that it came up with, like the title of mm-hmm. the book you look like a thing and i love you it's it doesn't it's not quite a pickup line like it's yeah. very cute yeah it's very cute but it's yeah. it's like it's just it's not hitting the mark that it should and i don't know how many like i don't know how large the data set that she gave it yeah was but even that it's like oh it's still con- like you have to provide a lot of examples um and i don't know if this came across in the audiobook but she does give examples of like when an AI is like learning and it's going through and it's trying to figure out like oh why is A showing up 14 times in like mm. these these data collections and it's it's it starts off with like gibberish right and then it takes I don't know how many times for it to even like come up with like a word mm-hmm. it, so it's uh of course like this process is expedited because it's a uh, a robot it doesn't need to sleep and it can do this like infinitely where it's just learning um but that was really fascinating too to be like oh it doesn't just like it's not like how we visualize ai right now where like you Mm -hmm. can go to chat gpt and be like you know give me a recipe for i don't know boiled potatoes or something like Mm -hmm. and it it just spits it out but Mm -hmm. um obviously with chat gpt like i don't i wonder how long it actually took to yeah. train it on all of these different you know sets of information that it has yeah and i feel yeah probably like chat gpt has all of these different data sets right and what i find interesting about that is that um i think i was reading like maybe like two days ago or a couple of days ago where um some folks are saying oh like they they trained chat gpt on copyrighted data and so now, like, the publishers are being, like, why Why is it being, mm-hmm. you know, why are we getting included in this? And then even when you think about uh, data with Twitter or, like, Reddit, 
you know, all of these things, all like those two platforms, for example, like they're good examples of like how people speak and what kind of things they say. Um, and now those platforms want to get compensated for having their data included in um, stuff like chat GPT. So mm-hmm. I think that's a very fascinating equation of AI where you do need like very large amount of data sets, but where do you get it, right? Mm-hmm. Where do you get that data? And then how does that kind of like feed it into things? Yeah, well, I mean, I think like with chat GPT or even like we could probably talk about Midjourney too is, yeah, the influence of like, where are people sourcing all this content like of course like if you're like i'm just going to pull everything from like the world wide web and not look at like copyright or you know privacy like of course like you can feed it as much information as possible but it's interesting when it does call into like you know privacy and security of like you know not to say like who approved you to take this but like why did you assume that you could you know pull from all of these books that are available online especially when you think about like there is an issue with piracy or anything digitally like there's um so many artists or like writers have their art stolen and distributed Mm -hmm. online in such like public forums that if you're like pulling from those public forums what does that mean Mm -hmm. um and of course like i think with a lot of people they assume that like with chat gpt or with like mid journey they think that this program is creating things entirely on its own when it's act- it's not it's it's just pulling different pieces and elements mm-hmm. and so that's where it's coming where it's you know copying these reference materials and maybe just like adjusting them a little bit but yeah realistically it's it's living somewhere for sure and yeah. i think that was one of the biggest controversies right when it comes to midjourney for example or dali um, all those image generating um, ai where some folks even saw like their signatures like they were artists they saw like parts of their signatures being generated by the ai because you know it was taken from their work and i think the biggest thing with like those kind of training data sets is like how do we ensure that we're actually properly compensating say like the artists because they're the ones that are creating these types of styles right these kinds of artworks and if you know, if you just depend on something like chat GPT or you don't even compensate them, right? Then are we going to have a world where it's just like, it's just like generating content up to a certain point And then after that, because we didn't pay the artist, nobody wants to, you know, get into that. Then there's no new originality or new content anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. And I mean, yeah, it's, I, I forget what they said for like, chat gpt but it's only content up to like maybe 2020 or something like that like it's obviously like it's lagging behind in terms of like like real-time information you can't (laughs) you can't you can't be like uh like this thing just happened and so you know it takes a lot of time for these these ai algorithms to learn yeah um but yeah i mean i think that that's been a huge just like huge discourse on like you know how are these programs being fed and also i it's it's i feel like the discussion is like why am i having to work like eight to nine hours in a job that's sort of like 
fills my soul when these when these programs are making art like <laughs> it should be the opposite yes <laughs> that makes so much sense <laughs> yeah I mean like, that does suck right like oh yeah. like we live in a, a society right now where <laughs> we we're the ones having to feed these programs data yeah. when we should be it should be doing all of the data and we should be the ones creating art and I don't, I don't, yeah, I think the first time I read that, I was like, that is true. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> they should be working for us, not us yeah. working for them. Can you just do my job? <laughs> <laughs> but that's an, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, because we had this discussion before, too, of when we think about, you know, the way that we started our careers, a lot of the things that we had to do before was very menial things, right? It's things that mm. were very standardized, things that, you know, it's not like, yes, it requires effort, but it's not like very strategic type of thinking, right? And so I'm curious, like with stuff like writing, for example, let's say we're writing a tweet, we're writing like a description for like an album, photo album or something, right? It's like, that's not high stakes, but it still needs to get done, right? When it mm -hmm. comes to communication, when it comes to marketing. And what I'm seeing is like, some people are saying, okay, then you're going to get because we have something like chat gpt this can be done completely with like something like that and we can completely get rid of junior copywriters junior coordinators all of that stuff right so i'm curious like what your thoughts are on that because like personally for me it was so helpful to start off with like those low stakes make make those mistakes with things that were in too high level because then you can kind of gradually go up right yeah yeah I do think about that a lot because I think like for you and I we are in you know levels in our career where we will always have a job because we we work strategically and we're able to like we have so much of that skill set and that experience to be like well actually like this is the direction that we should take and these are the decisions that we should move forward with we're not actually doing any of like on the ground work anymore I mean I do sometimes but it's easily could be passed off to another person if, if if I needed to focus on something a little bit more broader um and I do think that that it, it, it kind of is like a major concern for anybody that's currently in like I would say a high school or like early years in their programs if they're taking like a you know like a digital marketing program or like social media and graphic design like it's I feel like the, I mean, it's already, it's always been difficult to get into like our career field. Like, I feel like you have to really, you really have to network. You have to really know people. You have to do things like you have a, you have like a portfolio website or yeah. um, <clears throat> like some, something that like sets, sets you apart. And now you are sort of having to navigate this environment with, tools that you know mid-level people could probably you know manipulate to 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 do the job um I think it's yeah I think it's it's kind of scary to think about how how replaceable like our jobs are like copywriting is such an important skill set to know or even knowing like the basics of graphic design yeah. um 
knowing how to write alternative text for images like yeah. all yeah all of those like menial administrative tasks where it's like oh, okay like i i'm reviewing our our the twitter like our twitter social and uh let's let's add in an emoji <laughs> like like <laughs> you're you're just like you're it it i mean it's fun when you are sort of entering into it and you're just like like writing copy for the first time and you're learning yeah. things like tone and style yeah. and you start understanding like what is a brand voice what are you know brand colors how do we approach like graphic design coming from an organization and what do we want it to convey mm-hmm. and you start thinking about all these things and uh now with ai like there is a possibility where you can just feed it all this information these are the brand colors that i want this is the font that i use these are our yeah. logos yeah and uh here's you know different field sets for images and stuff make me something mm-hmm. um so i think it is like a a sort of concern i feel like maybe it will be up to people like us to really fight yeah. for those roles to, to, to continue on. And I mean, I, I think even with like this book where she sort of reiterates that like, like AI has huge potential, but it is still kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for it to actually take on the role of like an actual person, like I don't even know how many neural pathways and networks that we have in our brains, but I think it's, it's significant. She was like very much focused on the fact that like, it will take years yeah, for, for an AI to be able to, like, I mean, if you think about, it, like, to do all these things because it ha- you have to be so specific. For sure. It can't think about all of these, like, general things. Like, we would have to have, like, an AI just for, like, I don't even know. Like, I feel like even for copywriting, that might be, like, five things because you would want something to, like, look at punctuation and grammar and then also tone and style mm-hmm. yeah. and, like, the audience that's writing towards like i feel like there's a lot of like sub levels to it when you actually think about it Um, yeah so i think for now we are we are safe (laughs) i i I think our our future coordinators and assistants are safe but i i do think it's one of those things and i think um like we do this a lot in our jobs where we have to adopt new technology all the time right it's like understanding the difference between like the audience for Twitter versus the audience for what is now called X um, because those are two vastly different audiences now mm-hmm. and how you engage with people online and also just like how that like site works is a yeah, lot more different. For sure. Um, so I forget where I was going with this, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think you make a good point. I think that for now, <laughs> I think like, it is dumb, right? It is quite dumb. And I do see that a lot of the things it generates, like AI, like at least ChatGPT, it's very general. Like it's very, it can't go into the very, very specific details that you would only know because you're in the field itself, which makes sense because you can't possibly train it like with all of the data in the world. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think there was something that was fascinating too, is that I forget what somebody had described it as, but it's able to generate words that make it seem confident, but it's actually false data. So it's just oh, really yeah. good at seeming like it knows stuff, but it's like either citing non-existent sources or the way it like phrases it, it seems like you know, but then if some expert reads it, they'd be like, no, this does not make any sense at all. <laughs> 
Yeah, that that is true. I think um I feel like she touches upon that, right? Like it it even when it comes to like reading data sets, like sometimes it has such a short memory span that it's just like it forget like I think she was showing examples of recipes where halfway through the recipe it forgets that it's like making like a, a chocolate chip cookie recipe or something, right? And it's it starts putting in like these really weird things that just don't make sense whatsoever. And it's like, you know, half a cup of my brain wants to say water, which would make sense, but it's like <laughs> half a cup of one nut or something like that. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but it's just because it's so forgetful. Yeah. For I sure. would say though, like when I because I like I kind of was like an early adopter of like chat GPT when it first came out because I was like oh fantastic like I can prompt it and it can you know feed me back some you know things like I think I was looking at like you know taglines how would we want to you know make like this is the information for social and this is what it looks like um but then I sort of realized that like you have to be so specific of like this is the information and essentially you're writing it yourself because you're having to you're having to give it so much guidance <laughs> mm-hmm. hand holding it right yeah it's like okay i want you to write like a paragraph about this and i want you to include like this sentence and this sentence and this sentence and so then you're just like writing it <laughs> you've like pretty much written your outlines <laughs> when you do that right and i think that's the thing like the at least with our jobs right the hardest part is not I think it's about creating that outline, creating like this clarity of what you want to hit, who your audience are. And then it's like, okay, then you write it. I don't know that it's like, yes, like the way a writing flows and the way you kind of, you know, tell the story is important. But I think if you're, if you're able, if you have that solid foundation, then the rest is not as difficult, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe ChatGPT is really good, like, if you are sort of perusing ideas, and you're like, I mean, you've done this before, where you've prompted it to be like, give me, I don't know, like, 14 taglines around mm-hmm. this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really great for that, because you kind of, you would, you yourself would be able to pick out, like, okay, this actually really aligns. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're like, write me 14 essays about this topic (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not really gonna work out as well no yeah yeah um I think it would be interesting just kind of going back to like our early careers because you know I love us talking about our early days working together but we had this tool which I didn't actually have like a ton of information I feel like maybe you dealt with it more but we were when we were working for like a festival we were playing around with like a facebook chat bot and it did not it did not well (laughs) (laughs) i vaguely remember this and it's it's interesting now when we look back at that like that phase in our lives because i'm like oh man like we were doing we did so much innovative stuff we We didn't even know it (laughs) we did like a live stream for an event before like zoom was even a thing yeah like it's (laughs) and the fact that i never ran with that when it came to interviews like i thought i maybe i thought that that was like normal yeah like oh okay every place's chat bots every place does you know live streamed like events like 
interactive events where we're having to like connect with them over twitter like it yeah when i actually think about it like i i have to say like the digital like what we had to do for that festival was actually like very forward thinking compared to the stuff that's like i mean like that's now like kind of like normalized now <laughs> it's right? yeah it's very normal now yeah it's a little bit harder to be like ah uh, you know eight years ago i did this thing. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Um, but yeah, going back to that chat bot. So what I recall from from that one experience is that it was so hyped up and people were like, oh, it's going to be great. So essentially the way it would work is that, and I don't know if Facebook still has it. I'm not, I don't, it kind of disappeared, I don't, right? I don't, I don't think don't hear so. About it actually, I actually, the book kind of mentions uh, something similar called like it was M. It oh, was yeah, for, from Microsoft? No, no, it was for Meta. Oh, for Meta. Okay, yeah. yeah. Where it was um, like a customer service support portal. And so you, like the issue why it, it didn't work was and they like I think they pulled it. So I wonder if this was like oh, maybe an iteration like before or after. Yeah. But the reason why it was pulled is that like people would ask very specific questions. Mm. And so it had been given a list of you know like faq style responses to to specific questions and so you know if you were very general of like what hours are you open it can answer that mm-hmm. um but when people and this happens like we've both managed facebook pages like people can get very specific in their questions yeah and so ultimately i just had to keep redirecting people to email like this customer customer support you know, email address or phone number or whatever. Mm-hmm. And because it just kept prompting people to <laughs> to keep, you know, going back to like, the, like it just wasn't working the way that it should. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if that was like an iteration of one of the chat bots. Yeah, it might be. So yeah. just to give context to our listeners, um, so the, the chat bot was supposed to recommend, um, to recommend films to our audience. Um, when they message our page and I can't I, I can't for the life of me remember the full exact details of how I think it was something to do with emojis so yes. you would is is it like you would give it emojis and then it would yes. reply back in emojis and then somehow it will spit out like a film I can't remember when I when I think about it now it actually doesn't make any sense <laughs> because you I would love to be in we, that room when they we, decided that. We weren't there when this was decided. And and also, like, I will admit that if I had been in that room, I would have been like, this is a great idea. Same, yeah. Let's move forward with this. Cause, yeah. But now with, like, you know, my eight to nine years of insight, I'm like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but essentially, they had an Excel document. Uh, and they were working with an agency or another team, Oh, right? yeah. They, they were the ones building so, it out. Yeah. But the team had to provide the agency with, like, a list. I don't know. It was probably, like, 150 films because that was the thing at the time. So I think they had supplied them with 150 films. And then they also had to supply the team with three emojis that describes the film, which, when you think about it, is very difficult to do. And also, like, like, it's the thing of, like, you know it's a film so maybe you're always going to use like the film emoji yeah um and so they were it was like it had to be very specific you had to use like these three exact emojis but the thing is like our audience 
wouldn't know which emojis to use. Yeah. And so I think the the conflict that kept happening is like if you supplied one emoji or two emojis out of the three, it didn't realize that that was the movie that you were looking for. And so it would be like it would reprompt you. Um, so I feel like it was always in a cycle. So you had to use the exact same emojis in the same like format, right? Like you can't right. have um, if you were doing like a heart clown and fish emoji, it had to be in that layout. I didn't. Right. I think if you did like clown fish heart, like it would be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is so fascinating now when you think about it, because like it, it was so. It's like what we were talking about before. It was so set in its ways. It's it yeah. wasn't flexible at all, and. Thinking about it now, when you talk about emojis, I'm like, wow, that was not accessible at all. <laughs> like, also makes no sense. How would I, as a user, be like, I want to film with these three emojis, but you have to be so because, and then it's like, oh, I'd have no idea what that is. Yeah, yeah. Can send me another three emojis, and so you're like, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. But okay, so that wasn't even. So we're just talking about like how it works. That wasn't even the biggest failure of it, right? <laughs> So what ended up happening, and we didn't sign an NDA, so I don't, I think it's okay to like reveal what happened, <laughs> but what ended up happening was that, so we had a, a festival, right? I believe it was the first or second day. I can't believe this wasn't QA'd, but I think the second day of our campaign or the first day, when people started asking legitimate questions oh, about right. the festival, not about what films they want to watch but like about the festival itself like where is this playing where can i find my nearest cinema or whatever <laughs> our facebook chatbot would automatically reply in emojis <laughs> i forgot about that you know i i feel like i forgot about a lot of things <laughs> a lot of things that happened at that at that organization um and I pro I bet you it's probably because I wasn't even working on that. I was probably working on the website. Oh, pro and yeah. Because <laughs> we had split up uh, a lot of our tasks. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was flabbergasted. I, I, I remember, like, when – and I think I told you about it, and then, like, we flagged it. But I think when we saw that, we're like, oh, shoot. Like, this is going to be – like, that wasn't – like, that was the second day of the campaign or first day. But that wasn't even, the like, the actual – day that like that was like where all films were going to be played right so we're like mm -hmm. oh my gosh we're gonna get a lot of questions on the actual day and everyone's gonna be so pissed because all they're gonna get is emojis that don't make sense <laughs> well the other issue too is like technically on our end um if we're not checking like it automatically replies right so if, if we're not constantly on like the chat version for like meta business suite then you wouldn't get a notification that somebody has messaged the account. Yeah. Right? So then you would be missing hundreds, if not thousands, of questions. And mm -hmm. we would we, – we I feel like we probably would have been like, we did a good job, guys. <laughs> Next day, be like, oh. oh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. But, it, yeah, I, I found that funny. Like, looking back now, I find it funny. But I know back then it was probably like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like, crisis. We need to figure it out. But, yeah, I think – it's it's hilarious how even if you trust AI, sometimes you can have slip ups where like I do think that it was like a great way to engage people, right? I think mm -hmm. it was a great mm -hmm. way to 
try this new technology and be like, okay, let's figure out a way to be, um, to get people to like message us and stuff. But it's almost like that, <laughs> that use case of what if, you know, what if people actually ask legitimate questions? I think that was missed maybe in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was like chatbots at that time were like so relatively new. And so I think it was really hard for them to conceptualize like the fact that it would take complete control of those things. And maybe now, like, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Meta has chatbots, although I feel like I, I feel like recently I heard that they might be testing out like some AI stuff. Um, probably with their video editing like for Instagram that I feel like that would make more sense but I think like it just wasn't people I don't know people just love the idea of something being automated but then when you actually put it into practice you're like oh actually this this doesn't work yeah (laughs) (laughs) although I would say like I do have some automation set up on my like my works you know pages of like between the hours of like 6 p.m. to like 7 a.m. like it will it will tell people that like we're mm. not responding yeah um so I love that yeah yeah for sure okay talking about like auto suggestions too is like nowadays especially for like email or like when you think about like when we're texting each other like the keyboard chat does auto suggestions which is like a fun thing it's interesting when like it, it suggests like it how it remembers like keywords and stuff that you use um but I, I think that there is sort of a concern of, like, how, like, I mean, for emails especially, like, it it can write you your entire email, which yeah. is kind of wild. And it, it makes me wonder if, like, that is going to have an impact on, like, future communications and if writing is becoming lazier. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, I, I don't know, like, I, I mean, she does kind of go into details in the book about how that happens. And so it's not like it's not just miraculously like like reading your email and coming up with it. It's just kind of going with like this is the most frequent thing that people write and so this is how it's prompting you. Yeah. Um but it is interesting to be like oh like I don't even really need to respond anymore. Like I think even like with you when with Gmail, sometimes you can it gives you like those suggestions of like okay, got it. Mhm. You know rescheduled or like whatever right like yeah yeah you can just click those buttons and it will will do a thing even on linkedin it does that too oh yeah yeah yeah. sometimes if like because pre- it would say say congrats and then yeah <laughs> i would press it and then it automatically i don't know it would send i might have pressed something but it would just send congrats and i'm like no that's not what i i thought <laughs> i thought it would lead me to a post where i can yeah <laughs> say congrats not to send the say congrats thing <laughs> okay whatever <laughs> But it's interesting how it's, like, it's, I guess, in a way, supposed to make things easier. But then it is, like, I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about, like, how we communicate internally with each other now. So, I yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that when you have stuff that would, like, auto-suggest for you, I think that the tendency then is, like, to not think about it and be like, okay, I'll, I'll just press that. And my, I guess my my like hesitation or my wondering about that is like what happens if you know everyone writes the same what happens if you know because it's an average of like what everyone is writing how everyone is writing 
would all of our external communications and marketing stand the same? I mean, like, I'm already seeing it sort of like in particular fields, for example, like, let's say like arts and culture, if you look at a lot of like, you know, um, festivals or events, a lot of it is like optimistic, a lot of which makes sense, because, you know, you want to like, you know, inviting be, yeah right have like, a party yeah you're Watch invited <laughs> i feel like there are all you're of these invited. Like, <laughs> <laughs> don't miss out there's like all of these like stock phrases and that's what i fear is that if you depend so much on auto suggestions is you'll sound just like everyone else so maybe the thing to stand out is and then I think that's like when I think about you know how Duolingo like its oh, voice yeah. is so unhinged on TikTok, <laughs> like I think that's why they became so popular, right? Because you get into this almost trend that you know there's a particular brand voice, and then suddenly you have like such an unhinged account that goes like against that, and so it stands out, right? And then if you think about um, Twitter and like how there was like a trend of you know, like how Wendy's was very sarcastic and mm-hmm. how it would call out and then brands started like jumping onto that. So I don't know if it's like going to be similar where there's going to be like a pendulum of everyone's like, you know, this writing style because that's like the average and that's what, you know, a- like AI. Like. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes to the other end. So it's going to be interesting. I feel like the people that are able to write originally and see like not just respond to what's happening now but actually understand their organization understand what really makes sense for them and not just taking like that you know whatever average it is if you're using like ai or if you're just seeing the trends of other organizations i think like that's going to be more successful than just like relying on other people yeah i mean that is something to think about like I mean, especially when you do think about, like, using, like, you know, ChatGPT or, like, Grammarly or even, like, a like Chrome is coming up with, like, some sort of, like, text suggestion toolbox. Um, and, I mean, kind of going back to, like, how is even AI, like, gathering these data sets? It's all coming from the same material. And so if you're request like, if you're prompting it, like, give us a tagline for this festival. And it's, like, you're invited. Come out and see. Like and people start using that like it's going to be very noticeable to see like oh that like not to say that it's lazy writing but maybe lazy editing mm, because mm-hmm. nobody is thinking about like the intentionality between you know what what does what does this festival mean and like what is it impact versus like oh on average like being slightly unhinged or using this type of phrase is going to like make an impact in some way yeah um yeah that's that's really interesting to think about like how how brands and organizations are going to move forward with this um i did want to ask you because you've you've sort of experienced it a bit with like mid-journey but sort of like how these sort of data sets are being fed into these ai programs and then the sort of bias that's happening with them yeah for sure so i would this i was creating um my mood board <laughs> my mood board on um, mid journey and obviously mood boards require people and i am a person of color so i wanted you know 
the people that were being generated to be people of color as well, right? But what I was finding was, especially if I'm, if I'm like, you know, uh, someone young or someone old, a lot of the people that they were generating were white people, which is not bad. Like, fine, mm-hmm. okay. But you had to be so specific to be like Asian, 30s, blah, blah, blah. Uh, person. Even when I put person of color, sometimes it would generate a um a white person they're like, is like a confusing. white person is white is a color <laughs> oh yeah right and it's like because i was trying to make this i was i was making like um scenes where it was like in wes anderson style right so mm-hmm. you know what was happening because wes anderson's obviously not a person of color like they would somehow make it a mixed person <laughs> Oh my god! It's like so mixed with Wes Anderson. So yeah, um, I think yeah, we were talking about this right, and I was like lamenting like how oh my gosh, like can it just really just include like people that are like people of color or Asian or any any of that stuff? But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think it's interesting because I think that that is like an issue that people have flagged that a lot of the data sets, a lot of the things that um, are online might be i don't know might be people that are white but Mm -hmm. but yeah i think it's one of those things where um like we don't know where they were pulling all of these photos and in the book she does talk about this right like if you if you're showing pictures of a cat and it's always just a cat with like it front facing the camera it's going to be like okay this is what a cat looks like but then if you if you show one photo of a cat in a different position or it like looking sideways or it's just a different angle, like it will, it will look at that photo and it'll be like, that's not a cat because it's, it's learning from the image itself. And so it's also one of those things where like, if the programmers are white, they're going to be pulling more content that looks like them. Mm -hmm. Um, I do wonder if that has been like a question put to like mid journey of like, how do we increase diversity? um in representation but it's also one of those things where i think like what is it's adobe i think adobe has like where you can you can give a image and then you can prompt it oh actually canva does this too so you can put like an image of yourself and you can prompt it to like redesign like your clothing style Mm. um but obviously there's an issue where like if you are a person of color or if you're somebody who is fat and it it will it will cut off like I've seen so many TikToks of like people do, people doing like the AI like image thing of like you know give me you know five like portrait style like headshots for LinkedIn yeah and if it's a fat person like their face looks the same but their body is skinny mm. and so it doesn't like the neck doesn't actually like connect anymore and it doesn't look appropriate and then even for like people who are you know, uh, like a person of color, the skin tone isn't the same. Like, it's not matching. Um, So it's interesting, like, um, you know, like, visually, like, what are these programs being fed? Yeah. And um, obviously, like, as we know, like, it's being fed, like, one – or it's identifying, like, one type of look, like, as a preferred option versus any other. Yeah, which is so interesting that you say that because I think it's – it's human bias, right? I think about, you. I don't know if you've seen this, I think it was like a Vox, um, like short clip or something where it talks about the history of 
I think Kodak or some kind of um, mm-hmm. film or like photography thing where like a lot oh, of right. like with the like the skin color tone yes, issues. Yeah. Yes, like how a lot of like the early like testing when it comes to like how they I don't know, how they like did the settings for some film was based on white people. So that's why when let's say black people were being photographed, it didn't look as good because mm-hmm. they weren't even part of that like initial phase of like seeing like how lighting and stuff works right Mm -hmm. so I think it's so interesting how like that is like now we think as very analog and like how that is being carried with stuff like you know Chachibi or like Midjourney or whatnot where the bias is is there because there is bias in the people giving that data or where Mm -hmm. that data is coming from Mm mm-hmm yeah I mean it's one of those things because when you do think of like an average programmer you think of like oh you think of a white guy and (laughs) of course like they're going to be the people um controlling like what data to pull and where they're gathering it and they're they're not going to look at like you know how this program is identifying people they're not they're going to be like okay yeah like this is identifying a human person Mm -hmm. but it's not checking to see like how many of those images are diverse and have, yeah. you know, different ethnic representation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting to think about, like, I'm sure there's a lot of conversations on how people are like, you know, increasing like equity and inclusion into these things, but I'm sure that's something that there's going to be like a lot of reports on of like, how do we move forward in a way that like actually shows representation? Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. I mean, like, we've seen it, seen it in our careers, right, where, like, those conversations won't be brought up unless there are people that are actually intentionally thinking about it, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, it, it, it might not even be, like, you know, these people are racist. It, it is, it could be, like, a very unconscious thing because if it's, like, not something that you have to think about daily, it would make sense that you wouldn't think about it when you're doing, yeah. like, a work like this, right? And so for someone to be able to, like, spot it, you know, sometimes it helps that, like, that person might have lived experience to be like, well, I don't see myself reflected in this training set. Like, what are we doing about it? Or Mm -hmm. even having very explicit, um, like, policies that really look into that and being like, like, how are we making sure that these training sets are reflective of, like, the world that we live in today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's also, like, like, when it comes to like community consultations, like who are we asking these questions? I don't think any of those conversations are happening yet, right? Because um, I was even just thinking about how like if you were to prompt Midjourney into like, you know, show me an indigenous person, they always show an indigenous person that's like an elderly person, and also sometimes wearing like a headdress because they're pulling like these archival images, mm-hmm. um, and I think always sometimes it's like sepia toned, like it's not even. Like it's like pulling like art like literal archive yeah, images. Yeah. <laughs> like it reminds from... me so much of like that movie that we saw um, with that lawyer. I keep forgetting her name. <laughs> with that lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> the lawyer that was oh, um, Inuit, oh, right, right, right. twice colonized. Yes, yes, yeah. and she was like talking about how the way that you know if she's like you know like make like smoking cigarette or drinking coffee and people are like oh and then she's like why like mm-hmm. an inuit is not just like what you perceive like a romanticized version 
you know, we exist also in the modern world. Like I am here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's, that's, that's like an interesting bias that people have, like indigenous people are from the past and they are only in the past. There's no modern, even like the idea of like indigenous futurism, like that's, that's such a topic that's happening right now because everybody can't conceive the idea that like indigenous people will still be living in the future um which when you think about it it's like that's like imagining like a, an entirely other race as being like well this 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 group of people is they're not going to be alive like 50 years from now so we don't need to think about it and i don't think that's like that's like that's insane yeah <laughs> that's like yeah. an insane thing to say <laughs> yeah but um i guess like thinking about like ai and futurism and how that's going to operate um it might be nice before we end this it's just to think about like i don't know like what like you finished the book but did she have any insights on like or any theories that she has on like how ai will be implemented in the future did she touch upon that or no i can't recall because that was two weeks ago that i finished <laughs> this book so my apologies i have very sharp memory um but i think like the like the main thing that she was trying to say with the book is that it's not it's not like a perfect system right now mm-hmm. and it's not the VN and, and all still and we're still you still need humans to really train it up and you have it's very limited at the moment so i think the future of ai when we think about it of like something like terminator or taking over the world like sure maybe that's possible but also maybe that might be further down the road and we're not there yet, right? When it comes yeah. to, you know, our careers and how it plays um, in terms of like our workflows, I'm not against it. Um, I think that things like Grammarly, for example, or things like Canva, you know, Canva will never replace a graphic True graphic designer. design, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> true graphic designers have such a wealth of information or knowledge when it comes to like accessibility or like how like the principles of design and yes you can maybe like train an AI to figure those out but there's the human component that originality sometimes is missing because like a human is able to take different aspects from different fields and combine it and make it make sense to your organization right so mm-hmm. I think like that's like how I see it where I I think that we shouldn't feel threatened by AI it should be seen as something that could um, augment the stuff that we're already doing and like help us like just do the stuff that seems like very um, boring or whatnot that we can automate but otherwise I think it is a good it's a good tool to use it's a good um, thing to have in our arsenal but I don't know that it could fully replace us yeah and I, I do think like going on top of that like I, I have had many conversations with people about AI especially when like when chat GPT first launched like everyone was like this is <laughs> this is the future yeah this is taking over all our jobs and at the time I was like I mean and it kind of goes back to like the idea of like you know can't could it replace somebody in our field who is entry level like yes in a way but that's where we have to like you know us as like upper level managers have to advocate um I I mean we're kind of seeing that too with like the actors and writers guild striking because yes they were going to implement AI and all of these types of 
programming features that would, you know, completely remove actors and like their pay out of existence. Um, and so I think it's, it's going to be, you know, as a society, we have to really determine like what is going to be appropriate and what do we need to advocate for now to ensure that it's not sort of crossing any boundaries. And it, it kind of goes back to that conversation too about like, you know, what type of art are we pulling and what content is chat GPT allowed to take from? Um, and how do we ensure that, you know, there is like intentionality and um, some sort of integrity being used in this work and how are we going to navigate that? I don't think it will ever like fully take over any jobs. Like maybe I think it will take over like sections of work, right? Like, you know, instead of having like an intern schedule social media post, which is like what I used to do, maybe they would feed that, you know, into an Excel sheet that, you know, uh, an AI program could do it for. But I still think you need that person to be able to guide it. Um, and I'm not sure if we'll ever get to a point where, like, it won't need that guidance or structure. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to end things. I think it's <laughs> AI is clearly something that is helpful, but also mm -hmm. something that's limited. And it does look like a thing that we could love. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. Um Okay, so you finished the book. I am going to finish the book um, maybe this weekend. And I will, I think, I mean, it is like, I would highly recommend this to anybody who's listening. I think this is, if you're interested in learning about tech and, and I mean, especially like the digital version, um, I'm assuming the paper version too probably has the illustrations as well. Mm -hmm. um, but that that is helpful when you start thinking about like these concepts and it, the, the visual elements really help contextualize it for you. For sure, for sure. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Um, you look like a thing and I love you. Um, so we will see you next month. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, The Digital Look. We'll, we're always happy to hear your thoughts about the books that we're, we've been reading. And yeah, I hope you have a good day. Okay. Bye. Bye.